0: Well, good morning and welcome again one more time to Encounter Church. My name is Dirk Pastor here at Encounter, and we're so happy that you're here with us this morning as we kick off this new series about living a beyond-you life. But first, I want to I wanna come back a week to Easter last weekend at Encounter. It was incredible. And I want to say a couple of things about it. The first one is just a huge thank you to everybody who, uh, everybody who shared stories. Maybe that was an email. Maybe you stopped in throughout the week. Maybe you filled out one of these green cards. It was just it was so humbling and so exciting to see what was going on. Just some of the stories uh, that we heard is that somebody, uh, somebody who was at a Good Friday experience to communion for the first time. And that's just, we love to see that. Another person uh, filled out one of these cards and said, I want to, I've recently decided to follow Jesus, and we love seeing that around here as well. Um, I, but my personal favorite was somebody who came to church uh, on an invite, and they didn't really like church to begin with, so they weren't super thrilled to be here, but they said, I don't like church, but I loved that church. And that is the awesome thing. Plus, my favorite part on top of that was that they also said that they loved my corny jokes that I made. So you're going to hear like a lot more of these come. So just buckle up. It's going to be great. Okay. I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody because it's stories like that that just get everybody, lead volunteers and staff and everybody around here just so fired up, uh, so fired up to serve and to make a difference and an impact uh, in the world. So um, we, we, the other thing about Easter is that when we pull away from it, uh, we kind of ask like this now what question because there's, there's good news about Easter is that uh, after the resurrection, after Jesus rose again from the dead, like after this incredible event happened that we just celebrated last, week, last weekend, a lot of the Bible had still yet to be written. Like that's not the end. At the resurrection. There's all of these stories that lead on out out of that, all of this Bible that has yet to be written, and we are very much still a part of the movement of God that was started at the resurrection, I'd say even way before that at creation, but we see it at the resurrection, and now we live as resurrected people, introducing the rest of the community into a resurrected king, and we're so excited about that, but we kind of ask this question, like, now what? I mean, I want to make a difference. I want to introduce people to the resurrected King. I want to make an impact on our community. I just don't know how. So what we're going to do to start off this series and kind of get everybody on the same page, I want to ask a question. I'm going to actually ask for some hands in the air here. How many of you want to make a difference, make an impact in the world? How many want, just put them up. It's okay. How many want to be used by God? Okay, you can put them down. I just want us to notice just about everybody in the house raised their hand. And if you didn't, you probably didn't understand the question entirely, and that was on me. But we got to come back to this because we have to acknowledge that we all want to be used by God. And God actually wants to use us to make a difference in the world. We see it way back in the Old Testament when we see Abraham, of all people, Abraham, and God is making this contract, this covenant with Abraham. And we see God saying, I'm going to bless you, not for your sake only. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all nations, to the entire planet, to the whole world, all peoples that will ever exist. So, so God's point for calling us into this is to, is to make a difference, make an impact, is to bless the world. We just don't know how. I mean, for so many of us, right? I remember, I remember when I came to, came to faith or, or realized that, that God was working incredibly in my life. I remember I was a 14 years old at a sleepaway camp, and, and when I first articulated, I think God is at work. And I had this insatiable desire to make a difference in the world. It is for allow God to work through me, to, to change or have an impact on the world, to leave a legacy behind. I just had no idea how. And some of you might be in that same category. I wanna make a difference. I see the world, it's not like it should be, but I want to make a difference so badly in this world, I just don't know how. Maybe it's, maybe it's a country that you visited at some point and you, and you see kind of what happens in there and maybe it's a corruption or poverty thing and, and, and it's like that place always has like this, you'll always have a heart for it and, and you want to make a difference so badly, you just don't know how. Um, I, I want to kind of share a story of um, there was some person that that happened to, his name was uh, Bob Pierce, was, uh, several years ago, decades even, that he was on a business trip visiting uh, China, and, and as he was there, he saw these kids playing outside, and just, like I said, abject poverty, it was just, it's such a gut-wrenching, kind of a, a broken-hearted experience of his. And, and so he looks out over that experience, you know, and it just, ah, oh, something in him just hurts so bad to make a difference. Um, and, and he was talking to a local woman, and, and the woman said back to him, she said, okay, so, What are you going to do about it? And and that's kind of the question for this entire series. What are you going to do about it? If you know and I know that God wants you to make a difference, he wants all of us to make a difference and impact in the world, if we all know that God is going to choose to change the world through broken people like us, like the church... How is he absolutely going to do What are you going to do about that? And so this series that we're entering into, we call it Beyond You because it's all about how to live a beyond you kind of life. And we're going to go to a person in the Bible, and we're going to go to a person who's an unlikely person in an unlikely place in an unlikely time. So I want to check that out and see what God does, and especially this morning, what the starting point is about how God is going to impact and change the world. Starting point this morning. So I invite you to check out in the Bible. There's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. The words are also going to be on the screen behind me. Um, just, just check it out. There's, we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah, which can be a, kind of a tricky one to find. So there's table of contents. I think the page number is on the program as well. But we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter one, and, uh, and I'm just going to start off reading it, and you'll... Know why I'm weird about that because it starts off this way. It says in Nehemiah 1:1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hechaliah, obviously in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. I mean, that doesn't even need to be asked while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now, I just, I just kind of like pause and just make a little bit of, of a joke about that, but what we have to do, and if you're ever reading the Bible on your own and you come to a part that you're like, that made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever, uh, and that might happen often, uh, that's okay, hang in there. It just have the humility around here. We talk about the humility a lot. So we wanna just have the humility to, to approach it and say, I don't know what that means, but I assume that it meant something really important to the people way back then. Otherwise, it never would have gotten included in the Bible, and it certainly wouldn't have been passed down from generation to generation to generation for thousands of years until it got here to us. In this case, we see Nehemiah is writing his personal memoir. That's why he says, while I was in the citadel of Susa. We can also see that Susa is in this place uh, called Persia. is in a, uh, the country called Persia. And uh, in the 20th year of what? Is a, it's the king. Everything was measured in how many years somebody reigns. So it's the, the 20th year of the reign of the king, a lo- local in Persia. And Kis, the month of Kislev is... Is probably November, December, and I don't know yet why that's important, but he throws it in there. He just, he wants to anchor this thing in time. That's at least what we can see from it. Okay, so we see this, this is all happening maybe close to 500 years before Jesus, so just kind of like place that, like, okay, gotcha, like 444, 445. Anyway, um, verse two, it says, Nehemiah is continuing his story and he says, uh, now Hanani, one of my brothers, he might mean that like a euphemism, like another Jewish person, but we also kind of get the impression it could have actually been one of his brothers, um, like a blood brother. Okay, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, so it's not just him, it's others, and I questioned them about the key phrase, Jewish remnant that had survived the exile." and also about Jerusalem. So what his question is all about is, I wanna know about the people in Jerusalem, and I wanna know about the city in Jerusalem. Please, Han and I, and everybody else, tell me about the condition of the people and the city in Jerusalem. The reason why he so badly wants to know is because remember, we're, we're kind of in like about 445 BC, 150 years, let's see, one, two steps ago, Jerusalem was this thriving city, and everything is fine. This is independent rule. And then the Babylonians came and just completely destroyed everything like walls, just rubble, city, no bricks on top of another. Just it was completely destroyed. And then the Babylonians took all of these people into exile. In fact, they really only left behind the people that really weren't worth taking with. And they leave these groups behind, they take this whole group over into exile, into Babylon. Well, what happens is that over the years go by, uh, over the years go by, Babylon is then replaced by Persia. So 70 years later, we fast forward, got half the distance to Nehemiah, Babylon is replaced by Persia, Babylonian cities become Persian cities, Babylonian kings become Persian kings, Babylonian people become Persian people, right? Like all of this takes place. And then against all odds, and who could have ever seen this coming, besides maybe the prophet Isaiah, but that's a different story, uh, the king of Persia, Cyrus's name was, miraculously, I don't use that term loosely because it is a miracle, miraculously simply allows the Jewish people to leave what's now Persia and just go back home. 70 years after they were in exile, the king of Persia, Cyrus, for who knows what reason, other than the act of God, simply says, you can go back home if you want. Whoever wants to, go back home. Now, 40,000 people left, Persia. And and they went back home to start resettling Jerusalem. By the way, there was a lot more people taken into captivity. And after their families continued growing, there's a lot, that's the vast minority of people. But just kind of like tuck that one away in the back of your mind, uh, because it's going to be important later. So just more history here. Um, Lots of these people go back, 40,000, but not everybody certainly. And that was incredible enough. And then you fast forward about another 70 years, and it leads us into Nehemiah's time. So it's been 150 years or so. And in Nehemiah's time now, he is wondering, "Hey, 70 years ago, these ans- my ancestors got to go back to Jerusalem and resettle the land. They 70 years ago they got to go back and start making Jerusalem like this incredible capital city again." Seventy years ago, like our our hopes and our dreams came true. I mean, I I didn't go with if I was born or or or, you know my family didn't go and I'm here now, but I'm I'm so badly wondering. And Hananiah comes from visiting his his brother with with some other men. And Nehemiah wants to know now, writing his memoir, how's it going? Like, like, tell me. Tell me about Jerusalem. Is it rebuilt? Is it majestic again? I mean, tell me. Is the temple functioning with sacrifices? Is it what we always dreamed it could be like? Tell me about the people living in Jerusalem. And tell me about the city of Jerusalem itself. This is what we have longed for for so long. And Nehemiah unfortunately gets his answer. Because in verse 3, it says, they said to me, you know, those who survived the exile and are back in the province, they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem, is, it's broken down and its, its gates have been burned with fire. I just want two things to be seared into your memory. Trouble and disgrace. That's the report that Nehemiah gets. And in just a minute, we're going to see it breaks his heart. It's so incredibly difficult for, for, for Nehemiah to hear that now the people's experience of the people in the city is marked by trouble and disgrace. You know, Nehemiah really focuses in on the fortifications around the city of Jerusalem because cities, every city had these fortifications built around them to protect them. And now that, as we see, is completely destroyed and the gates are burned down with fire. And what's so hard to see that is, I don't want you to see this as just like a security measure that they're, you know, kind of like a perk of the city that they're lacking. It isn't that. Because without a wall around the city, without the city fortifications, they can't really acquire anything. Because every time they would gather a little something together, some marauding band would just sweep right through and, and just take it. It was incredibly easy. And so they couldn't, they couldn't enact any, any kind of a government because anytime they got enough resources together to build a road or to start putting up bridges or buildings, it would just be taken away from them. And worse yet, we've got a political and governmental thing that couldn't happen. Worst of all is that that they couldn't enact their religion. They couldn't enact uh, their faith. There's a spiritual component to them because their faith required sacrifices to be made of, of, of goats and doves. And every time they got something of value together, maybe to go to the temple, somebody would just sweep through and take it. And so when we hear, when Nehemiah hears that the city is marked by trouble and disgrace, we can see that it's because they can't have any kind of a government or or identity, and they can't have any sort of a spiritual identity either. It's just this incredibly dark, incredibly bad place that they are. And Nehemiah gets this news. He gets the news that the dreams have not come true. In fact, it's the nightmare. If you're living in Jerusalem, the nightmare has very much come true. And Nehemiah hears these words and it just—it so completely wrecks him that he breaks down and we see this next line in verse four where it says that, when I heard these things, remember Nehemiah is writing and he goes, when I heard these things about how it is in Jerusalem and the people living there, I sat down and wept. For some days I, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, I sat down and wept because it, it broke my heart. Now, now that's the place that I want to pick it up because I think that's one of the most important lines in the entire story, in the entire book of Nehemiah. It's this obscure story with an obscure man, obscure place, obscure time that you would never expect to see it. However, God uses all of this to impact and change the world greatly. And it starts, it starts in a place of sitting down and weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. Nehemiah sees what's going on. Get this, get this. He sees what's going on 500 miles away. That took weeks, not days. It may have been halfway across the world to him at that point. It didn't matter, right? It was that far away. He hears something that's going on. 500 miles away, and it just breaks his heart. And at this point, I can't help but just read myself in this story and ask myself, Dirk, when was the last time I heard something that was going wrong, a nightmare that was coming true for a people 500 miles away, and I sat down and I wept. I sat down and I mourned. I sat down and I fasted, and I sat down and I prayed. Even if, even if for a day... When was the last time I saw something happening so far, so far removed from me and where I am that it just broke my heart? We're going to see in this story that Nehemiah sits down and he fasts and prays and mourns for four months. Four months. He just sits in that place of having his heart just broken open and having all of those emotions spit out. And, and he is not an emotionally unstable person by any means as we continue on in this, in this story and in this series. And when was the last time that happened? When was the last time? Like, like I heard news about a shooting in Orlando, or or anywhere else by that matter, or when was the last time I heard about people washing up on the shores of the Mediterranean? And my heart broke and I prayed and fasted for more than a day or two. But yet Nehemiah, he, he hears this news 500 miles away. And get this, he doesn't look away. I mean, I think I think that says so much that for four months he could have checked out. He had work to do. He was cupbearer to the king, which you know sounds fancier than it is. He actually just sort of tasted the food and the wine before serving it to the king to make sure it wasn't poison. But, but he also had the ear to the king. I mean, he hung out on a regular basis with the most powerful people on the planet. He could have easily just allowed himself to get consumed with his day to day life, but he chose not to look away. He chose to remain in that place of having his heart simply broken for this place in the world that just wasn't, it wasn't like God would have intended. And he just sits there and he waits. And if we ask the question together throughout this series about how to live a beyond you life, about how to impact change, about how, how to be used by God to leave a legacy, about how to change the world. And if we look at this story, and I think the first step we get to it, and already in verse four, we see, where is it in this planet, or where is it in your local community, or even in your home, where does your heart just break Like, what is that thing that you just, you want so badly to look away. You want so badly to be done with. You want so badly to ignore it, except you can't. Except for you you look at it square in the face. And for four months, you sit and you weep and you mourn and you fast and you pray before the God of heaven and say, would you do something about that? You have to do something about that thing. So what I want to do. What I want you to just say is, just, is, is, is to kind of look out and, and, to, and to acknowledge that some of the most incredible movements of God have started with a broken heart, which is exactly opposite that you would imagine. Because sometimes we, we sell faith, we sell Christianity at times, has like this incredible mountaintop experience. Like, like God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It might involve a tremendous sacrifice, but it has, it's a wonderful plan at the end, right? We, we sell this often as being like, this is just, it's an incredible journey of faith to be on. Don't you want to join the movement of God and be a part of it? Yes, I do. We, we often talk about following God as if it's always going to be this mountaintop experience, and that sometimes is the case. But we also see from the Nehemiah stories and others like it, that God tends to use the valleys, I'd say at least as much as the mountaintops. That that God uses the valleys to shape us, to form us. God uses uses those awful moments when we see what's happening in the world or in in our specific little world. And we see those places where our hearts just breaking open. And God says, that's where I'm gonna use you. That's where I'm going to enact change. That's how I'm going to have you leave a legacy and impact the world. That's the place. Honestly, if we look across the horizon, you can see that that the vast majority of, of, of nonprofit organizations doing all kinds of great international and local development work, that they all started with a story of a broken heart. Someone who saw the things that were instead of the things that could be and that difference just broke their heart. Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King saw the injustices that still exist today. And he sees it and he goes, it just breaks my heart. And he saw the things that they were. And he had a dream of the things that what they could be. And the difference was just heart-wrenching. And he knew that that's the place where God was calling him to impact and change, to leave a legacy and impact the world, the coming of God's kingdom. Incredible. So I, I got to ask you again, where's that place that just, it breaks your heart to be around? And for some of you, something immediately probably comes to mind. And you know it's that country that I visited, or, or you know maybe it's the street that you drive by on your way to work every day, or you know maybe it's the little people sleeping under your roof at night, and you're going, it's, the, it's that, it's those people, uh, that's going to be incredible, I'm going to impact change, I'm going to leave a legacy by impacting them, that's what's, that's what's going to be. But if, I, if we're honest, others of us are going, I have no idea. I, I so badly want to leave a legacy. I so badly want to impact the world. I just don't know how. And so what I want to do is give you some advice, if I, if I could. What I want to do is make a suggestion. You know, and you can choose to do it or not do it throughout the week, and that is totally fine. But, but I would simply want to suggest that what you do if you don't have that broken heart to see where you belong in the world, is to simply pray. And it, it sounds like that's it. I mean, I mean but actually pray. And, and when you pray, and when you pray, you, you're, you're actively turning over your life, your wants, your desires, and turning them over to God so, so that your wants and your desires become his wants and his desires in your life. Uh, someone once told me that, that Jesus is really good at being Lord. And we don't always love that. But, but he's really good at being Lord, so just, just let him. Just open up and pray. Like Nehemiah, maybe pray and mourn over the things in this world that break God's heart and ask him to break your heart over those things too. Pray and mourn and fast and sit at the feet of God and just weep and say, God, this world is not as you would have it. Help me to see one specific thing one specific difference that I can make and break my heart over that, and that especially. And when you pray, this is the, this is the tough thing because we've all got things, right? We, we've all got things, maybe little ones along the way that it's like, I mean, yeah, that would be better. But, but if you pray, God, break my heart over the things that break yours. And, and you, know, you, you get your coffee the next day and you're like, there's not enough flavor in this thing. Like maybe aim a little higher, right? Just a little bit more than that. I mean think about the thing, like what heaven would look like on earth and like that's what we're pursuing. All of us living lives where we live in love more and more like Jesus all the time and pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Now. Now when you do that, I want to give you a warning because he just might answer you. He just might grab a hold of something inside of you and it could be terrifying. When you pray for God to break your heart for what breaks his, I want you to know that praying for a broken heart is probably one of the most fulfilling things that you could ever probably do. But receiving a broken heart is probably also one of the most painful things that you could ever enact, that you could ever journey down. But do it anyway, because think about the legacy. Think about how God could change the world through you. But first, he's probably going to do something to you, Right? Um, somebody told me one time uh, earlier this week, I was just kind of like pulling it up and remembering, and they said that, that isn't it often the case that God doesn't work, that God doesn't accomplish anything great through you until he does something great to you. Right? God doesn't do anything great through you until he does something to you. And so pray, God, maybe before you change the world, maybe before you change the community, maybe before you change my family, God, would you just please change me? Just change my heart. And then he's going to grab a hold of you, right? And we've got stories and stories in the Bible about how God chooses to break somebody's heart. And the ripple effects from that are just incredible. I mean, think about Moses for just a minute. Think about Moses and how Moses is a guy that wanted to liberate, the, Israelite, liberate the, the Hebrew people. And he did that by heading out and killing an Egyptian. And I wouldn't like totally recommend that, but at least it was a step, I suppose, and, and you know, at that point, at that level, it probably would have taken him several lifetimes to accomplish. But but then God kind of removes him and says, I love your passion, but uh, let's just, let's head out to the University of, of Sinai for a little while in the desert and camp out. And this is a 40-year program where freshman year is 10 years and sophomore year is, you know, 10, junior, senior, 10. Hopefully you're not an accounting major and have to go a fifth year. But no, Moses, sorry for the. But Moses is, um, Moses camps out and he does that university program. There's at least the spring break there, or a beach anyway, but no water. And he comes back, he takes it, he comes back, and God uses him to lead the people out, to where? Out to the desert before. And it's just this incredible way that God uses him and says, listen, you're going to live with this grumbling people for 40 years in the desert. And you know what? You're going to be able to say, I've been here before for all 40 years. Isn't that incredible? Take, take David, for example. And David is a guy, a little shepherd kid, kind of a teenager at the time. And he hears Goliath calling out these taunts against David and the people, right? Right? And he's, and he's mocking not just the people, although he's doing that, but he's also mocking the Lord God, the, the, the God of the Israelite people. And David hears this as a shepherd, and he's like, somebody should do something about that. And his, and his heart just breaks, and he realizes, somebody is me. And so he grabs five stones, and he steps into the ring with Goliath, and we all know what happens after that. Elijah goes goes head to head with, with 250 prophets of Baal on the top of a mountain and say, "I'll take everybody. Me and my God will take on 250 of you and your God in a mano mano times 250." a competition and just see who the last one left standing is. Paul in the New Testament has such an incredible broken heart that he at one point writes in the book of Romans that I wish I was cut off for the sake of my brothers and sisters the Jewish people. He's asking, he's saying I wish that I wish that I could exchange, exchange my eternal security and my hope for heaven if it would win something for those people, the Jewish people, my brothers and my sisters. How much of a broken heart is that? One of my favorite stories is in Mark chapter two when when a bunch of uh, of friends get together and they have such a heart over this this paralyzed man, this paralytic he's called, that they actually carry him to Jesus. But, But the crowds are preventing him from getting into the house and so they pick him up and they go on top of the roof and they start digging open the thatched roof so that they can lower him down from above. Because their broken heart means it's not just somebody should do something, I should do something. And speaking of Jesus, all of these stories of of Nehemiah, David, Moses, Elijah, Paul, the friends, everybody is nothing more than just a shadow compared to Jesus Christ himself, everybody just pointing the way towards the God of Christ, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and stepping down from that eternal place, down and coming into here because his heart breaks so badly and so deeply for this world that's so broken and he thinks somebody must show them how to live, how to love, and win for them into eternity. That's the God that we serve isn't it incredible. And earlier, I asked you to keep in mind that number, 40,000. Because remember the three points, right? Jerusalem is destroyed. A bunch of exiles get to go back. Nehemiah asks this guy, like, how's it going? And we said, you know, the weird thing is only 40,000 went back. Nehemiah's family didn't go back. At the time, the promised land, the promised land was everything. They talked about the promised land like we talk about heaven now. Like, it was everything to them. And so, for them not to go back was considered shameful. But only a tiny minority of people actually went back. Why is that? Because, in light of everything that God has in store for us, and in light of, of everything that God is going to do in this world, comfort kills calling every time. Comfort kills calling they lived in Babylon for 70 years. By Nehemiah's time, they lived in Babylon for 140, maybe 150 years. They had homes, and they had families, and they had businesses. They had networks, they had communities that they had embedded themselves into. They had a career. They were comfortable. And Nehemiah is left asking, how are things going? Because he didn't go, and his family didn't go, because comfort kills calling every time, every time. Less, of course, like Nehemiah, when our hearts break over something, we sit before the feet of God and we weep and we fast and we mourn and we pray and we lift it up to God and and say, even though it's happening a long ways away, or maybe it's not, even if it takes a very long time, four months, or maybe not, I'm gonna stay here, God, until you break my heart for what breaks yours. You know what he did during that time of praying and fasting and mourning? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, nothing besides praying and fasting and mourning. That's all he did. I mean, that's all. He, he didn't run away. He didn't try to like, you know, moonlight as like wall builder in Jerusalem before coming back. He didn't, he didn't totally look away and just neglect his duties. He just He just sat and he prayed and he mourned. He didn't really do anything except for he just, kind of waited, but, but now this is going to come from the book, uh, Visioneering. He didn't just wait. He waited until the vision matured inside of him. There's a story of Chip and David uh, that said, you know, these are two guys that like, go to a missions conference and they get so fired up, you know, they're gonna go out and they're gonna change the world, it's gonna be incredible. And, and, and heading out from that, if they could have gotten a plane ticket and flown to another country to tell people about Jesus, they absolutely would have, but nobody would buy that ticket for them and so they had to go to college. And, and so after college, they allowed this, this vision to mature to see what it was and then at the end, Chip realizes I'm not called to like another country to be a missionary. I'm called to like serve and tell corporate America about Jesus. I'm called to dig into my community. I'm called called to tell my family about the love of Jesus. I'm called to change the world by changing these people right here. He had to allow the vision to mature inside of him. Also, sometimes we have to wait until the vision matures, the person. Wait until you mature in preparation for that vision remember Moses. <laughs> I'm going to liberate Israel. I'm going to save all the Hebrew people by killing one Egyptian and then running away for 40 years. Dude, at this time, Jesus will come back by the time you're done liberating the people. okay? You just, need, you just need to like wait. You just need to develop until you're ready to step into the vision that God has in store for you. And the other part, maybe the most important or the hardest part, is waiting until God prepares the way. Because God is always at work even when we can't see him, and that is so difficult. And so Nehemiah doesn't know. He, he makes plans, he does prayers, but he waits. He waits for God to set up the opportunity. He waits for God to set up the time. And meanwhile, he uses a prayer that I wanna invite you to pray for this week. In verse 11, when he prays, he lifts it up. He goes, Lord, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Nehemiah prays, God, I'm starting to understand that what you might be asking me to do is go before one of the most powerful people on the planet at the time and to make a very, very difficult ask. And God, I need to start praying early and start fasting often because I need you to show up and I need you to grant. He goes, success and favor today. God, I need you to hear this plan. I need you to start turning around this broken world, this tired world, all of the places in this world that don't look like heaven. God, I need you to please show up and to start enacting change. I mentioned the story of Bob Pierce earlier, who was on a business trip to China when he saw some kids and and just complete and utter abject poverty. And it it broke his heart. It broke his heart and he knew this is the place. These are the people that I am called to serve and to love and to tell them about Jesus in this unique way. The business trip that Bob was on was actually in the 1950s in China and he was there as as a Baptist missionary. And what he experienced there was something so completely life and world-changing. And talking to that local woman and pouring out his broken heart to her, she looked back at him and she said, so, what are you going to do about it? And he reached into his wallet and he took out the last $5 that he had and, and, he, and he gave it to her and said, this is all I have on me right now. But please, would you buy those kids something to eat or something to drink, clean water? And she took it, and he also gave, him, gave her a promise that when he gets back to the States, he's going to send another $5. And every month, he's going to send another $5 so that at least some of them can have something to eat, something to drink, sometimes. And then other people heard about the $5 plan, and so it grows. As there's gaining momentum, as other people want to also chip in $5 to send to the woman across the world and more people. And so it starts to become like this this church movement and this community movement. It starts to become a national movement and then even a global movement. And today we look at this organization that formed as a result of that conversation with that woman halfway around the world and we know it today as world vision. It does. Billions of, with a B, billions of dollars of distribution in the world every year. It's the biggest non-governmental international development organization in the world today and it's Starts with a broken heart. And I gotta ask, friends, how is it that God is breaking your heart today? What is it that He's breaking? And and ask that question and pray for that answer and do not look away and sit and wait before the God of heaven who can hear your prayers and do something about it and hold on to that thing. If you're here at Encounter for the first time, or or maybe if you've just been around for a while and you need a refresher, what breaks our hearts around here, if you couldn't tell already, is people who don't know Jesus yet. What breaks our heart around here is people who've given up on the church because it's boring or it's irrelevant or it's aligned with the wrong people, politically or otherwise. What breaks our hearts around here is people who are just so sick and tired of church, maybe from a lack of it, maybe from too much of it, and to tell them about another way, to tell all of you about another way, a better way, to hold on to God and to sit at his feet and mourn until God acts change and changes the world through changing one of us or two of us or hundreds Hundreds or thousands of us. That's what breaks our heart around here. What breaks our heart around here, did you know, is that every dollar that goes into the bucket or given online to our general fund, what goes in, 90 cents we keep we do the ministry, 10 cents we give out. And every quarter we write a check to go out to other organizations. And last quarter, we look, we saw, as we do every year, first quarter of the year, we see that there are tens and thousands of food insecure families right here in West Michigan. And we wanna do something about that. And so this quarter from last week, we got to write a check for 83,000 meals to feed the food insecure families right here, our neighbors and our friends and our community. And we look at that and say, God, break our heart. Keep breaking our heart for the things that break yours and don't let go of us until earth looks a little more like heaven. This week, this week, I invite you to sit before the feet of God in heaven. And in fasting and mourning, pray. Pray as if God can change the world through you. And plan as if he will. I invite you to stand up. Let's do that right now. Let's pray before the God, our God in heaven. Gracious God, it's, it's with humility and also with fear that we approach your throne and we ask you to break our hearts. Uh, God, it is, it is done with fear because, because we know that you just might hear our prayers. You might just answer our prayers. God, you might, just, you might just completely ruin us in all the most beautiful ways imaginable and our lives aren't gonna be the same. But God, we also know that this is how, this is how you work, by turning our lives over to you. Because you're good at being Lord, and we're not. We so badly want to see the world changed. So now we ask that you change us first. That you break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, it's in all these things that we pray, and the one with the deepest broken heart imaginable, Jesus Christ, and in him we pray, amen.